morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can follow me on Twitter there. Uh, I'm sorry about uh, this past Friday. This past Friday, there were technical difficulties all on my end. That's what happens when 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 you let me, a schmuck like me, produce my own show. So uh, so so we're back. I, I'm apparently not echoing. I'm not, I'm not skipping, and that's all due to, to our wonderful multitasking producer, Devin, who is now producing this show. I, kn- I know m- most of the people don't, don't, don't get to see Devin that often. You could follow him, Devo Knievo, on Twitter. He's the one that makes the trains run on time here at Roto-Grinders. All the shows that you see uh, on, on, on YouTube, all the premium content, everything, if it wasn't for him, we'd be lost. So, uh, so the thumbs today... I only have water today, okay? Not not the apple juice. So it's not about keeping the apple juice cold. It's about the appreciation for, for our, our wonderful multitasking producer, Devin. Hit that thumbs up. If this is your first show, if this is your 500th show, if you've been watching shows for uh, for uh, at, at Roto-Grinders for the past, you know, five years, uh, hit that thumbs up. In dedication of Devin, our wonderful producer. Now, I don't have to worry about it. If, if stuff is skipping, he'll take care of it, right? That's... I, I don't have to worry about this, especially on Mondays, because on Mondays we got James McCool here for McCool Mondays. I believe I don't I don't know if people have voted on what, what we're calling it, but uh, James, we had uh, uh, a quite crazy couple of days in uh, in NBA that are are, are going to continue today, where uh, because of COVID we got uh, health protocols is uh, seems to be the number one issue on the injury report. We have teams that are playing with seven-man rotations, which don't even include any of their normal starters. Uh, it feels a bit like the last week or two of the season. Uh, this this may be the new normal. So in the past couple of slates, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about yesterday, but I mean, we had that Boston-Miami game that got canceled. So like, we had great Celtics value and then it disappeared. And then it's like, oh, now we have to play all the Spurs. And then they busted. So it's like, uh, we have we have these slates where these things happen and cheap players get put into these roles that make their prices wildly inefficient. That it makes, it makes it impossible to build lineups where you're like, oh, I'm gonna fade the cheap chalk and then play someone else when your median projection just goes down so dramatically that you can't just, you can't do that. I mean, you're just giving up too many points. So James, how are you handling these slates where there are, they could be half of your lineup, like there could be four or five players where if you don't play them, your projection tanks. Like how do you decide in between, like how you, how you, how you constructing lineups taking that into account? It's it's been really really hard, especially with all of these players. Like when when a major usage player is out for a team, you really do just get like pigeonholed into playing somebody else. I mean, Demar Derozan out yesterday, you were basically forced into playing Duante Murray, who was sixty eight hundred on DraftKings, and I had a projection of him for of forty fantasy points. He was projected to be like fifty percent owned, but fading him and then fading Lamarcus Aldridge and fading all the Spurs value after the Celtics value was already done. Like we, we don't even need to talk about the Celtics value. Cause if that Celtics value would have been there, you have four, you have four Celtics players in your, in your lineup. Like you, you don't even have a choice, but to have four Celtics players in your lineup because they're also underpriced. 
that you put yourself as a, at a massive disadvantage if you're fading it. And that's coming from somebody who's a massive contrarian. Like I look for reasons to fade players and I couldn't find any reason to fade the Celtics if they would have played or the Spurs yesterday. Um, I did limit it to three Spurs at most, um, which helped mitigate some of the damage. And I did get away from Devin Vassell, who was um, kind of like a, a value darling yesterday. He's 3,100 on DraftKings. Um, one, one way that I try to navigate that stuff is look at the players and kind of look at how volatile they are from a fantasy point standpoint. So like, I, I don't really want to take super cheap value that only gets there on points. I don't want to take super cheap value that is like a shooting guard that has to score 15 to 17 real life points in order to kill me in GPPs or get me there in GPPs because that, that kind of thing, if he has a bad shooting night, then you're, you're dead in the water with the 40% of people or however many play that player. That was kind of the situation with Devin Vassell last night. I didn't really like him because I didn't like what I saw from the way that he finds fantasy points. So when we have all these guys ruled out, uh, and especially the star stud usage guys ruled out. One of the ways that you can get away from the quote unquote bad chalk, even though it's not necessarily bad from a projection standpoint, but like the volatile chalk is just looking at how robust those players are um, looking and seeing if they can get there through both points and rebounds through both points and assists through um, stocks, steals and blocks, stuff like that. I, I think that's a good way to kind of weed out some of the, more volatile pieces that if they don't go off at 40% owned and, and don't even meet their median projection at 40% owned, you can pass a pretty large chunk of the field and get a lot of relative value just by pivoting away from that player. Like last night, for instance, going with Jared Vanderbilt instead of going with Devin Vassell uh, was one way that I tried to be different. Uh, Vanderbilt was like 15% owned. Vassell was somewhere around 50% owned. So just, just looking for other pieces of value that have more ways of getting there so that you can kind of try to take advantage of the volatility of those players. Right. I, I, the, the key term is volatility. And a, another term related to volatility is, is fragility. We have these situations. Look at, look at what was going to happen with the Celtics last night before the game got canceled. Obviously, the game got canceled because the Heat didn't have enough players. So it wasn't even the Celtics. You're going to have a situation where Tatum's out and Brown's out, and you have pl- nearly their entire front court out. Yet, and they were going to have four players on the court at all times that were six three or or shorter. Uh, so you, you're looking at going, well, how many minutes is Taco Fall going to play? Well, how many minutes is Tice going to play at the five? Are they going to play with three guards? How is who's going to start? Is it going to be Waters? Is it going to be Edwards? Is it going to be Pritchard? How much? T- how much? How many minutes is Neesmith going to play? Like. At this point, there's no sample size that shows us this. There's no, like, we can't go back in time and go, where, where's the situation that none of these guys played? It was Marcus Smart and the G Squad, you know, G League All-Stars. And, like, you get a total of, like, eight minutes. And you're like, well, how, how, are, we supposed to, how are we supposed to wonder what's going to happen based on that sample size? So the minutes on the projections are going to be fragile. You may see... Uh, a minutes projection of 24, but that's really just the median. I mean, they, that guy could play 16, he could play 32, but like what, how else are you going to allocate these minutes? A lot of times you don't even know this until the starting lineups come out, right? We saw last night that Trey Lyles is going to start. Oh, okay. 
okay, so they're not going to start Pirtle and play Aldridge at the four. They're going to start Lyles. So what does that mean for the rotation? Well, it also depends on what Greg Pop Popovich wants to do on a back-to-back. -back. And we know with Pop, who the hell knows what's going to happen? Is Rudy Gay going to play 32 minutes or is he going to play 14 minutes? Is, is, the, is the rookie Vassal going to play more time? Are they going to limit Deontay Murray? Uh, so those, those situations are going to be more fragile. So in typically, typically, I say the word typically, it doesn't mean all the time, that in fragile situations, be more inclined to go away from the ownership. People are going to be more confident in the situation. DeRozan is out. Deontay Murray projects extremely well, but it doesn't mean he's going to get there all the time. And if the field's going to go there, if the field's going to go to Murray, going to go to Vassal, maybe there's, there's your chance of finding a way to be different or you eat it and you find a way to be different elsewhere. But I don't think there's many situations except in, you could think in very large field GPPs, but even then, you can't really build a lineup and tank. I mean, if, if I were to yesterday X out Durant, Murray and Lyles and, and some other cheap guy, like if I would have Wani Walker, if I would have X all four of them out and said, let me build a lineup without those four players. My best possible lineup would have been like 12 points, medium projection lower than any lineup that had at least one of those players. So I take a look at that and I go, how can I give up 12 points of projection on a, on a five game slate? Like an 11 game slate, at least you get more options. You may be able to find a cheap undervalued player on different teams, but like, I don't think there's a situation, like you said, uh, it's been like, if we got the Celtics value. Well, now you're giving me more options. Now, now, now you have Murray, Durant, Lyles, Vassal, uh, you got Edwards, you got Smart, you got, you got all of Teague. Now, now, now there's now, okay, I'm going to play three of these guys and not the three of these guys. And then you still have a, you still have a lineup that projects as well as lineups with those other three guys in it. But we have, we're going to have these slates like today with uh, the 76ers where, I mean, DraftKings has just not priced these guys up enough uh, for no Simmons, no Harris and, and like half their team out. We don't know if Embiid's going to play today. And like, you look at it and you go, if I, if I don't play Maxi, how, how do I build a lineup? I think that's, that's the better thing to learn from this. Instead of thinking in terms of what's good chalk, what's bad chalk, do I fade this over-projected, uh, highly projected chalk cheap guy, try to build the lineup without him. Go into lineup HQ and run, run, run 50 lineups, run 20 lineups. Don't have to run 300. And go, let me run defaults and see what the top median is with, with this cheap, chalky player that projects for like an 8x median. And then X them out and run without and see what's the best lineup you can. How many points are you giving up? Depending on the context of the slate, if you give it, you could maybe, maybe you're able to make a lineup three points lower. And you'd be like, okay, that that isn't the end of the world. But sometimes you're gonna see in, in, in cases on some slates where it's, it's going to be 10 points off. And you'll be like, like th this is the, this is why you see in results DB guys, you know, when, when, when these sharp players lock in guys, someone has 98% of someone because they just find that there's, there's no way to make, uh, if they're making 150 plus EV lineups, 
like it includes 147 lineups with that guy in it because there's there's only three lineups that rank high enough in their in their model building a full lineup together. We're not talking about players that there's only three lineups out of 150 that makes sense without that player in it. So those are typically the situations. So that's why we could see in results DB with these exposures, like how were they able to build lineups? Okay. So that's why I'm not looking at who they like. Yeah. Keldon Johnson came in under on a lot of sharp players, uh, 150 sets, but then who did they play out otherwise? Well, Trey Lyles, it was Trey Lyles projected. Well, still fit a power forward spot. They still need to get uh, a, a small forward somewhere, right? A bunch of Durant, Lyles, uh, Lyles in the center spot. Draymond Green was was a pivot away because he was under 5K. So I look at these not by in results DB by who they're playing, but how did they construct lineups? Who did they believe? How, how could you build a lineup without one of these players? Like we could see... Uh, some we had Chipotle attic went under on Durant. So he had to make up that projection somewhere. Well, he made it up by playing a lot of Deontay Murray. Of course, Deontay Murray didn't get there, but Deontay Murray also like he was one of the highest projected players on the slate. That's why he was 63% owned in the, in the, in the fadeaway. So James, like what essentially we and you were saying the same exact thing of, of it's, just like we say in the theory of DFS course that you could get a theory of DFS.com that it's, you're thinking of lineups. You're not thinking of players. You're not thinking of, okay, do I fade the cheap shock or do I not fade the cheap shock? It's like, well, it depends if you could build a lineup without him that projects well enough for the contest that you're in, then, then do it. I was playing smaller field contests the past week. You know, yesterday I was playing the the Showtime, the 250, 4 Max. And these are like sub 500 person contests. So like I had Durant or Murray in almost every lineup. Not maybe not together, but at least one of them in a lineup. I had, Ly- I had either Lyles or Vassal in like every one of my lineups because how many people do I have to beat? I, I don't need, how much leverage do I need? that I'm willing to just eat that much projection in a 370 person contest. Now you're James, you, you've been playing more of the large field stuff. It almost feels like we, we flipped around. Yeah. So, so, so how, how do you, how do you weigh? Cause like we get this question a lot, at least I do of how much median are you willing to sacrifice for leverage? That's obviously contest dependent. So for me in the small field, it's not going to be much. There isn't an exact number, but I'm not looking to sacrifice on, on a slate like this. I ain't sacrificing 10 points in a, in a 400 person field contest. I'm not even coming close. Maybe four, maybe five, maybe, maybe. I'm a, a lot of times I'm looking at like three for a slate of this context. But for you in large field, like you could get, a, you could get away with 10, but, but how do you judge that type of like, Yes, I'm getting a ton of leverage here, but is it enough to make up for the projection that you're sacrificing? Yeah, I've uh, you you said that I'm playing larger field, and this this is kind of the first year that I'm really trying to MME in in NBA. Um, I just I, I looked back at my my roto tracker and I kind of saw that I was running kind of bad on one percent finishes and had quite a few of them, but didn't just just didn't quite make it over the hump over the last couple of years. So really trying to push that envelope and in, in larger field stuff, I'm just focusing a lot on, I mean, I try to build the best lineups that I can, 
just like straightforward using the models that I have. I, I try to utilize how often players actually reach their GPP value and, and run lineups based on that kind of stuff. But I really try hard to look at who is going to be like the most popular player on the slate. Yesterday it was Duante Murray who was projected for about 50% owned, obviously ended up 63, 70% owned, depending on what contest you were in and really trying to look at that player and say, are they going to be somebody that I can beat with somebody else? Who else projects well in that range? You know, Alfred Payton was the closest, I think, that I had in terms of a player that I could actually pivot to yesterday. And he was projected for 33.52 at 2% ownership. That's a seven-point drop just simply going from Murray to Alfred Payton. Um and, you know, my, my T-Val, which is how often I think players are actually going to reach GPP value, I had Duante Murray at about 43%, so pretty high, still, still lower than what he was going to be owned by a little bit. But I didn't have any reservations on Duante Murray yesterday because I thought that he was appropriately valued. So I'm not going to go away from a player that I think is appropriately valued. Um, something like Keldon Johnson which is another example of a very high-owned player. I had him way below the rest of the field. I had him projected for 28 and at 28% ownership. So I had him only reaching GPP value 12% of the time, which is, that's a situation where I feel more comfortable fading him because I think he's well overvalued by the field. Um, 17% overvalued by the field by my metrics. So in a situation like that, where he's a small forward power forward. I can look at other players that are in similar positions and think about where I want to pivot away from. Um, Kelly Oubre at, at 5K, I had him projected okay at the same positions and cheaper, which allowed me to get up from other positions up to somebody like Pascal Siakam or Steph Curry or make it easier for me to fit Duante Murray without needing to have Devin Vassell. Um, looking for those players that I think are well overvalued by the field, according to my metrics. Now, now of course, there, there is a bit of a caveat here where ownership projections are not necessarily precise. We try to be accurate with ownership projections. We, we try to be in the ballpark of where these players are going to be valued. So Kelton Johnson being projected for 30% owned if he comes in and is only like 15% owned, then I'm way under on him, even though he's actually appropriately valued by the field. So there is that small caveat, but I think that ownership projections have come a long way over the last you know year or two. And looking at those and trying to decide what chalk is appropriately valued by the field and deciding whether I want to go with the field or go over the field on those players, that's usually where I'll try to figure out where my pivots are going to be and um, – Another way is a situation like with the Hornets. LaMelo Ball has been getting a lot of attention, right? Because he's he's been great at, in terms of fantasy points per minute. It's been about 1.2 fantasy points per minute coming off the bench. And people have caught on to that and his price has been rising, but his ownership has been really high. So a situation like that, LaMelo Ball is very good, but if 40% of the field is going to be on a backup guard on the Hornets um, and only 10% are going to be on Terry Rozier, or 10% are going to be on Devontae Graham. Maybe I want to push up Devontae Graham or Terry Rozier a little bit. Maybe I want to try to directly leverage that player, um, still have some, still have some LaMelo ball, maybe be even with field or maybe a little bit under, but try to push up one of his, one of his direct counterparts and put in some groups to where I don't have those players together so that if he does fail, then I have the person who is most likely to benefit if he does fail. So there's, those are just a couple of ways that I want to look at the way to dictate my GPP exposures. Um, 
I usually kind of put a, a soft cap on things based on how often I think they're going to reach GPP value. But when, when it comes to pivots and when it comes to being over under the field or, or directly levering somebody, it mostly has to do with how the field is valuing that player. And if that player is over or undervalued. Jacob Calloway asks uh, you uh, this maybe a little into the weeds. Uh, are you manually changing your X value caps for a guy like Basil? If you see him as too volatile and when building player pools, do you analyze by salary range game by game, like I do, or T value percentage per dollar. So what's, what's this, what's this X val and T val? Cause these are, these, these are things that are probably in your model, but not in lineup HQ, but it, it, it's, it's probably similar figures in lineup HQ. You just, you just call them differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, intuitively what, what X val is and what T val is. So T val is how often a player is going to reach their GPP value. Which, which, is, which is, let, let me, let me just interrupt, which on lineup HQ we call smash percentage. Right. Yeah. So, so there are, you know, there's parallels, of course. Um, it, it's just a, um, a mashup between medium value and seven X percentage. Uh, so if you are not over at my site, if you don't have a sub over there, I run 5,000 simulation of each player on a player level, not a game level to find how often they reach certain thresholds for GPPs based on their salaries. Right, um, which is which is very similar to what uh, Jamino does here at Roto-Grinders to calculate smash percentage. Exactly. But of so, course your, your model and Roto-Grinders rejections may be a little bit different. Maybe you allocate minutes differently. So it's not, the, the numbers are more likely to be close to each other, but not necessarily the same number. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to find a lot of the same values, even if the numbers don't necessarily match up the same. Again, it's about being accurate and not necessarily precise. I'm not going to be precisely with the, uh, the, the industry standard, but I'll be around the area. So XVAL is like the smash percentage on Roto-Grinders, which tells you GPP value. Um, and then XVAL is a combination of uh, TVAL and projected ownership, basically. So it takes how often a player reaches GPP value and how they are viewed by the field, which is determined by something called LevX. There's a lot of columns, <laughs> but- But, but it's, it's what essentially that number is, is you're comparing, this is what, what, what I did. This is, what, this is how you build leverage lineups mm-hmm. of comparing the smash percentage to the ownership. Yeah. You're saying yeah. basically, you know, the guy's gonna, gonna be 40, 43% chance of uh, getting a GPP a target score and he's going to be owned 35%. So that, that, that value is going to be positive. Yep. Right. And if they're over owned, the value is going to be negative to some extent, but it's a way to, to compare players relatively, but it really depends on the lineup that you build. So Mm -hmm. for instance, if there's a guy that Mm -hmm. is, let's say, uh, a smash percentage of 45%, which is the highest on the slate. So this is like the highest projected guy on the slate and he's going to be owned 63%. So I'm, I'm talking about Deontay Murray, right? He had like a smash of about 40 to 45%. One of the highest, if not the highest on the slate, he's going to be 63% owned. Now on a five game slate, like where else are you going to find someone with that high of a smash percentage anyway? So it doesn't necessarily mean just because you have a negative leverage right your negative t-val or whatever you call it in your spreadsheets uh that doesn't mean you don't play him in any lineup it's like he'll make sense in lineups where you're getting leverage elsewhere all you're doing is if you're playing a player with a negative leverage score it means that you need to find leverage. you need to keep your projection up and you need to find leverage 
elsewhere. It doesn't mean X the guy out because he's a quote negative EV play in a vacuum in a lineup. He's still, he's still one of the highest projected players. Don't act like, like, Oh, Oh, negative EV. Let's get out of here. Right. So I just, I just want to highlight James that you're not just using those values. And then if they are negative, just saying, well, I can't build a lineup with any negative players in it. Yeah, and that's actually where XVAL goes in. So to answer that question, XVAL is um, the combination of LebX, which is how over or undervalued a player is, and their TVAL. It's just those two sum, summed up. So that, like it, with the Duante Murray example, he was still a really good play yesterday. Like he still had a 41% XVAL, uh, and that's really, really high. It was top five on the slate. So you're still playing that player. However, with Kelvin Johnson, as a better example, he was negative in that column. So that's a situation where I might just cross that player off. If I don't think that they are going to be valuable and if I don't think they're going to hit their GPP value very often, and I think they're very overvalued, that's a situation where I might go way under the field on them. Only have like 10%, only, only have as much as their, as their smash score or as their T-Val says. Um, that's usually what I'll use to determine the cap. So um when it comes to those kind of things, no, I won't ever manually change an XVAL on a player. Um, Devin Vassell yesterday was only 7% um, in, in his XVAL. He was 14% in his TVAL. So he, he was overvalued pr- pretty drastically. But um, I'll usually try to kind of come under on the field on him, maybe just have him in 5 to 10% because it just shows a lot of volatility. Um, and then when I am running for an actual MME script, what I use is the, the T-Val. I use what is essentially the smash score for Roto-Grinders. And sometimes I'll optimize on that. I'll, I'll upload that into the lineup HQ and I'll optimize on that and I'll see how that looks. And then I'll optimize based on projections and I'll use T-Val as the max exposure cap. Since that's how often I think they're going to reach GPP value anyway, I will use that as as much of their exposure I want to have in my lineup. Since your lineups are really, the, the, the exposure of a player is just how often you think they're going to get there. Um, or, or like how many lineups you think they are going to be valuable in. So I'll use well, that. As a well, that's not, that, that's a little, that's a little misleading. You could build, a, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of using exposures. Exposures to me are good for describing your, your player portfolio, but not describe, you're not describing your lineups. So I always, James, I mean, we, we say this in the course that, yeah, you could have 80% of a guy, but if they're all in, garbage lineups then who cares that you have double the field in lineups that project 17 points lower than the median and have no leverage i mean like like they're just bad lineups or the lineups that have a ton of negative correlation yes i've 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 way under the field of deontay murray because i played six spurs that aren't him in the same lineup right so you'd be like look I did well by fading Deont- I had 0% Deontay Murray. And why didn't I win? Because you played, you still played horrible lineups. You played Johnson, Pirtle, Lyles, Aldridge, uh, Rudy Gay, like that. You played five, those Spurs together. Like, like that. all five of them ain't going to hit all at once. I mean, <laughs> and, and not Murray in that case. So to me, I think it's, it's, it's a little, it, it leads people a little bit astray to talk in terms of, well, Keldon Johnson only had a 12% chance of smashing, so I'm not going to have more than 12% of him in a portfolio of 150 lineups. Like, those 12% could be really good lineups, or they could be really bad lineups. Or, like, I think I look at Results DB in a way of how did they construct lineups? Sure. 
So yes, they were, they were, I, I look around, we, we have a couple of, uh, you know, Royal pain, E Hafter, JK 123. Uh, we got uh, squirrel patrol, like under on Keldon Johnson. And most likely in those spots, they had a pl- plenty of Trey Lyles. So it's like, okay, I make sense. I, it makes sense from a construction standpoint. Lyles was, you know, the late news. He was 23% owned. He probably, if we knew this uh, five hours before the, the lock, he probably would have been twice as owned. Uh, I can understand that to move Johnson over to Lyles. And, but now you're, you're also saving $3,000. So now you're able to pay up for a guy like Curry for see uh, for uh, some type of guard, Malik Beasley, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Shea Gilles Alexander. So like I was making construction. So for instance, in my five lineups, which you could do like, just because I'm not using lineup HQ to, I'm using it to research, but I'm not using it to like build the exact lineup of like, well, I don't want to play. I, I, I want to avoid playing Murray and Durant in the same lineup. So if I play Durant in the lineup, what is a mid to high price guard that I could play? Well, Shea Gilgis Alexander like cor- is projects well enough and he correlates with, with Durant because he's in the same game. So I'm like, that's where I get my leverage on Murray. I'm playing 400 person fields. So like, Give me 11% SGA with Chalk Durant. And it's like, well, who do I play at center now? It's like, well, I could play Horford at center. And Horford was Kadrari on DK. He was Chalk on FanDuel. And like, once I have SGA, Horford and Durant, like just the five spots, just give me the best projection. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't. You, you don't even have to worry about ownership at that point. Right. I don't have to worry about ownership. But then in the opposite way, in my Durant lineups, I was playing uh, someone like uh, uh, Chris Boucher in the power forward spot. It's like, well, if I'm playing Boucher, like, who do I play? I want to play Deontay Murray in these lineups, but maybe I'm trying to jam in Curry in the guard utility spot. Maybe I'm playing Oubre instead of Keldon Johnson, right, in the small forward spot because now I'm playing a Raptor, right? So now I'm looking to correlate these are very weak correlations these same game type of correlations but i'm trying to build the best lineups i'm not thinking in terms of i have five lineups i have 80 percent deontay murray is that is that plus ev it's fine am i building five good lineups for the contest i'm in like it the exposure in and of itself doesn't matter to me i had vassal in two lineups out of out of five but they made sense i needed a 3100 player in a, in a, in a small forward spot. And I had enough leverage. And so fine, I'll eat a 40% own guy that could easily give me four points, which they obviously did. Uh, so you would, you would agree with me where the reason that we, that many people talk in terms of exposures is because it's much easier to describe a strategy in terms of exposures versus in terms of individual lineups. Yeah. And, and, I, I should have prefaced with there's a lot of work that goes into an MME run outside of just exposure. Like I don't just put in those caps and be like, Oh yeah, just press run. And then like, there we go. Like you have to go through every single lineup after that. Like I, I'm probably going to press run like 50, 60 times, maybe 
Like I'll, I'll run it the first time and that run will be nothing like the one that I actually enter because I need to go through and I need to say, okay, well, I, I definitely don't want these two players together or I definitely want only this many players from this team or why don't I have these two players against each other? And then you go into groups and then you go through each team and you say, oh, well, I definitely don't want DeAndre Jordan and Jordan Allen together because that's not going to work. Or I don't want, like your example, where if you want Duante Murray in one lineup, but not Kevin Durant, like go put in that as a group too. Like, so you're not getting those two together. It is, like I said, I I have been doing MME for NBA this season and uh, it's a lot, man. And it's so fun. Like it, it just makes me think of like all those people on Twitter. They're like, Oh, well, if I had 150 lineups, I would win everything. Like, dude, I'm a good player. I'm not winning everything with 150 lineups. You know, it's hard. There's a lot that goes into it. So it's not all about exposures. It's all about the lineups that you're building. I tell everybody in the community that asks that once you run your lineups, you have to go through every single lineup. And then eventually when you can get through all 50 and say, yep, those are good lineups that's when you can enter things. But that first run, you're probably going to get through like three lineups. Maybe you might not even get through one lineup. You might get to that first lineup and be like, Oh no, that's not going to work. I have five spurs and none of them are Duante Murray. Like that, that might happen. And you have to look at that and understand, okay, I have to go in and I have to tweak something and then go tweak and then rerun, go tweak, rerun. And you'll be able to get through more lineups each time over on the right side. Maybe the first one, you hated that first one, that first one doesn't work. And then you rerun and then you can get through three. And then you rerun and you can get through six and then you rerun and you can get through seven and you have to keep doing that and keep pruning out your pool, taking out the players that don't make sense. Like I don't want any Kent Bazemore, but I ended up with like 6% for some God unknown reason. So take him out. Like it's a process and it is, it's a time consuming and very intensive process. So no exposures are not everything. It's all about the lineups and you have to look through those lineups. Like, yeah, having the the max cap of I I wanted fifty four percent Lamarcus Aldridge yesterday based based on TVAL slash Smash Core, but if those fifty four percent lineups suck, it doesn't matter that I matched my TVAL. I have to make sure that I go through that and make sure that I'm getting lineups that actually make sense. And uh, as Angry Vic says, you do all of that, and then news pops at six fifty eight, and you just mash build and go. And I hate it every single time. Sometimes that happens. Like we're not all perfect. You'll make these (sighs) runs like that other day with uh, Beal being out and Giannis being out and then Sexton ruled out. Like I was just hand building five lineups. So like even me, like I'm, I have to just, okay, I'm just going to build five at 654 and go with what it is. And just hope that it works. (laughs) Right. I do. But that's what, when I, when I, when I'm building 80 lineups into GPPs on a normal night or a hundred or something, a lot of times I'm looking at the clock going, I'm out of time. So this next time I press the build button, whatever it gives me, that's what I'm going with. And I could always late swap out of stuff, you know, afterwards. But I mean, yes, a lot, it's, it's, MMEing is not easy. It is it if any simple mistake is compounded. Like that's that's the people don't understand when you're hand building one or two lineups, five lineups. Like you could see, like like you can't just like oh well I'm playing this guy. Well I already knew I played this guy in this lineup, so I'm going to play a different guy in this lineup. Like it's much easier to see. And when you're building 150 lineups, your mistakes are compounding. Like you're like. Well, I want to play only 20% of this guy and 20% of that guy. You don't realize that based on positional scarcity, that means uh, you're going to end up with 65% Kane Bazemore because based on your salary construction and everything is like, that's the only guy that fits in that spot. And if it's 658 
and you're still running that, like, it, it's like, I guess I'm getting a lot of, I, I guess I'm just running with Ken Baysmore because for me to then figure it out of how do I make my salary allocation in a way where I'm not getting a ton of Ken Baysmore, like you're just, you're just, you're just, you're just out of time. Right. That's that's just the way it is. I mean, that it takes a lot of practice. That's why I suggest people just hand. I hand built 20 lineups for NBA when I first started. I didn't use optimizers. You learn once you learn to hand build and you see you could visualize lineups based on constructions. You could take a look at a slate and go, well, there's a cheap small forward here. There's an expensive guy there. Right. There's and centers a weak position. People are going to either pay up or pay down. Then you could go through and go, okay, this lineup makes sense. Well, once you understand what lineups make sense in different constructions, then you could start going into lineup HQ and say, give me these types of lineups. So that's why just going in, that's why the whole exposure caps type of methodology for me and you, we understand because we, we get what lineup constructions we're trying to make to begin with. But a lot of people go in with, well, uh, Deontay Murray is going to be 63% owned. So I only want half of that. As if like half is a is is some type of like scientific method of like do I get half of this? There's no scientific method to like only have half of that and only have a quarter of this and be twice on that and then you print money like like it it really doesn't work this way. That's why like Michael Lingelfelter like was uh, said do, go into a little bit more into depth on why Murray at seventy plus percent ownership is still a good enough play at a smash percentage that is about a half of that because he's because it's about lineups. He still projects high. If you don't play him in a lineup, you're going to have to find projection elsewhere. And can you find projection elsewhere? No. A lot of times you can't. If you're going to if that's why I said if if I'm going to fade Murray in a lineup, I almost have to play Kevin Durant. Like because if I don't, if I don't play either of those two, my lineups in my in the contest that I'm playing are going to just be too low. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be able to make it up with leverage. It just these these lineups just project eight points lower than everything else. Once I put in either Murray or Durant, it's better. Now that could mean that in my five lineups, maybe I don't play any Murray. Maybe I go, I'm just going to play Durant in five lineups. Or I could say I'm going to play Murray in five lineups and find leverage elsewhere. All the difference between the owners, the smash percentage, and the ownership does to tell you how much leverage you need in the rest of your lineup. Because if you're still playing high projected players, if you're playing someone that's, you're rarely going to see James, do we ever see? And in, in, I mean, in, in DFS in 2021, a guy that has a 45% smash percentage that is going to be owned 2%. We do we, or and do we see the vice versa? Do we see a guy that's going to be 60% owned that has a 2% smash, like has like, oh, the field's going to overown this guy to the moon. And he has almost no chance of making a GPP value. Like you don't find those things. The, the reason why players are high owned is because they have a high chance of doing well and projecting. well. Yeah. And even my stuff was really, really aggressive because I apply some, some pretty heavy boosts to individual stack categories. Um, it's it's exceptionally difficult to find players that rate very very well and are going to be very very low owned. Jared Vanderbilt is I had him projected at one percent owned, but after looking through things and running like Roto Grinders like lineups and running on other industry optimizers, him coming out to ten to fifteen percent, he ended up fifteen percent owned, 
and he had a smash score of 36%. And that's about like the largest difference that I think that I can remember is stuff like that. Um, Sometimes there will be situations where a guard needs to go into a matchup where it's a serious point disadvantage for me. And I'll have them well on well overvalued by the field. But even then it, you're, you're only looking at like 20%, maybe it's not something where it's like 50%. Uh, and, and if there is, then usually I'll look at it and say, okay, well, I need to boost him up somewhere uh, because like I'm way too low. So it, it you're, you're right. Good players or good plays are high owned for a reason. And that's because they're good plays. It's one of the reasons why for me in cash games, my strategy is just to play the highest owned players because that, that they're good plays by the industry. Like that is what they're going to do. The, their market value is very high. So instead of using a subjective projection for them, I just want to play them in cash and let other people make mistakes. But you're right that, that they're high owned for a reason. You know, last year, my favorite example of a player ever was Gordon Hayward at 3K being projected for like 37 fantasy points for the Celtics last year. And he was 98% owned in GPPs. And it's like, duh, duh. Um, the, those kinds of things, when, when they happen, Jalen Brunson this year, we, we talked about him last week. He's projected for 34 fantasy points. Yeah, he should be 90% owned. 10% of people j- just paid the rate. And, and, and that'll happen. Right. So I want to show uh, using... Uh, today's slate, what what the concept that I'm talking about. So on today's slate, these are the projections. Obviously, this is premium. So sign up with the link in the description below, rotogriders.com slash premium. You get $10 off your first month. You get lineup HQ. You get all the premium projections. Uh, the projections team is uh, is excellent. We can see right here. New, they write. Mean Z, Tuttle, Darius, SBK, Jamino, Allen's there. Bob Reeves is there. Uh, uh, one of the best projection teams in the industry. And they update this all the time. So this is like 1024 AM. And remember uh, it's the NBA. So uh, I, I say in, 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 in Roto-Grinders discord, which if you're a premium member, you get in the NBA channel all the time. Uh, some news comes out at about 545 Eastern. And uh, pretty much I type in every time. Imagine making lineups before 530. Just imagine, imagine people are talking this morning about who should I play here and who should I imagine doing that. All I'm doing is just looking like, is Embiid going to play? Is I'm like, there's, there's, there's no need for me to make any decision before the 530 Eastern injury report. And even then half an hour after that, you see something more news comes out. So I just want to show, I'm going to build 20 lineups based on our 1024 projections. We see Embiid and Maxi here are projected so high. Right. We even have uh, Mike Scott, possibly that he's 40 percent. It depends on his minutes. But like Maxi and, and Embiid both have RG, you know, salary adjusted plus minuses in the double digits. Maxi with a 51 percent smash and Embiid with a 42 percent smash. So I'm going to build 20 lineups. Just. What's the top 20 lineups I can make uh, based on our projections? So I'm going to be 20. Here's the top one. OK, the top one. I don't care about negative correlation or anything like that. So 296.83. So that's with the 40, you're not even using all your salary to even get there. So 20, 296.83. Then the next best one is 296.1. Then we have 295.93. But most of them, I mean, we take a look at the top 20 have 
100% Embiid, 100% Maxi, 100% Mike Scott, 85% Danny Green, right? So now you're thinking in your head going, is Tyrese Maxi going to be too high owned? Should I fade Tyreek Maxi? Well, go in and I'm now going to X him out, just him, and then run 20 lineups. So what was the, the number from before? 296? Yeah. The best lineup you can make without him right now, I X'd him out, is 286.39. Doesn't have him and obviously has Embiid. It has Mike Scott. It has Danny Green 100%. It has Malcolm Brogdon, Cameron Johnson, Chris Paul. By not playing Maxi, you're giving up. The best lineup you can make is 10 points lower median. Now, let's say I also X out Embiid. And I built 20 lineups. The best lineup is 281.81. Okay? That's 15 points below any Embiid maxi lineups. Let's say I also X out Mike Scott. And I run it. Now we're down to 276.1. So if you're thinking, right, if you're thinking in your head, you know what I'm going to do? Oh, let me X out. Oh, Danny Green also. Let me do that also. Let me, let's go to the. Let's get rid of the Sixers. Right, just get rid of the Sixers, right? Any Sixers that come up. Okay, yeah, here we go. Here's the first best lineup, optimal median lineup, without any Sixers in it. Chris Paul, Melton, Trent Jr., Cameron Johnson, Miles Turner, Beal, Oladipo, and Brogdon. I'm not saying it's a great lineup of construction regardless. It's 273.47. I mean, the top one is what, 296? 296, yeah. Right, you're, you're just only giving up uh, 23 points of median by fading the Sixers. So if you're going into this slate right now, based on current news or whatever, going, you know what I think is going to be sneaky? Why don't I just fade all the Sixers? Like you're, 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 you're minus EV. Like I, maybe, maybe, maybe it gets there. Yes. There's a percentage of time that will be no 76ers in the GPP winning lineup in large field GPPs, which is the obviously more where you, where you, you get leverage. You want to get as much leverage, but I mean, I think even in the largest of GPPs, just Xing out the Sixers, like you can see, just run it. Sometimes if the chalk wasn't this good, let me let me do this, James, just to show the concept. I'm gonna change their projections. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bump down Embiid to about 48 points. Okay. Is that is that gonna give me is it gonna make him good but not great? That's not okay. I'll put him. I'll put him at fifty. That makes him a good play. That makes him okay, right? Let's say I put Maxi's projection at twenty-eight, right? Does that make him a, a a good play? I'll put him up to even thirty. Put him up to thirty, right? Still towards the top of the board, right? Let's take Mike Scott and make him uh, make him nineteen. Make him a little bit less, and let's take Danny Green and make him maybe a little less 24 right to just put him as like they would st- they would still be the chalk plays on the slate but they're just they wouldn't project as well right let's say we have beal i'm gonna move him down a little to like 51 which still makes him a great play drumming down a little to 49 so if we take a look at like the comparison now between everyone is much smaller right so it's like yes maxi that Good play. These are all good plays, but they're, they don't project with plus minuses of 10 plus points. So now everyone's in the pool. I'm going to build 20 lineups. 
Okay. Based on, did I, did I X everyone out properly? No, I got every, I got everyone back. Right. We still get Maxi. We still get Scott. We got Giannis in there. So the top projected lineup right now, after I remove, bump them down is 278.28. Still, you get Maxi in hundred percent of the first 20. Right. So let's say I take out Maxi and I run it. 275.07. That's a bit better. Right. Better. Which, which highlights the difference in our first run with the original projections, the way that they should be. If you got rid of Maxi, you lost 10. You couldn't possibly make a lineup that's not 10 points hit in median. Here it's three. So, like in these cases on slates where, yeah, they are the best play, you could still make plenty of good lineups without them. You're sacrificing three points. Right. You maybe don't want to sacrifice, you know, 20, but look here, the top one is you're sacrificing three, 274.13. You're sacrificing four, 273.87. You're sacrificing four and a half. Here's another four and a half. Here's another four and a half. So now there's multiple lineups that are four to six points off the median. And if that guy's good, if Maxi's going to be 80% owned, you'd be like, well, there, I could build lineups, right? James, yeah, I could build lineups. I'm willing to get that leverage and sacrifice three points in median. But if we reset this, if I reset the settings back to their normal projections, like, dude, you'd Maxi could be 80% owned and still not be owned enough, right? Like, like how, how, how are you possibly getting a, a lineup that could be competitive projection-wise and sacrifice 20 points in the process? It's, it's, it's very unlikely to happen. So I think... James, uh, this is the type of thing that we know intuitively and we could look at and like, I don't have to run this in order to know that a guy that has a, that two guys that have double digit salary adjusted plus minuses are like going to have to be in like most of my lineups. But in, in the cases where these numbers, where the chalk is good, but not like great, it can be useful to, to run lineups just like I did and see Oh wow, you're right. There, there is a way for me to make a good lineup without this player, and especially in large field stuff. I, I mean, in small field stuff, that that's, and we talk about this a lot. Where a small field contest, less than 500 players, um, you know, you're you're probably going to have Embiid and Maxi in, in those lineups, um, even even if they're only good chuck, because that three point difference that still matters in smaller field stuff. In larger field stuff, that's where you really start thinking about that leverage stuff and start thinking about, you know, that that three points, you can probably make that up with variance. You can probably make that up with uh, a, a pivot away from Joel Embiid to uh, Demonis Sabonis or Julius Randle or, or something like that. Um, but I just wanted to like highlight that difference between large field and small field, where even in small field, that three point difference, you still probably want as much optimal play as you possibly can. You probably don't want to be fading Tyrese Maxey in those smaller field stuff. If he does have that large of an influence on lineups. Right. And Francisco Meza asks, so when you're looking, what are you looking for when using lineup HQ to hand build lineups? He has 40 in the excellent eights contest tonight, for example, now I'm not a big fan of like 40 gets to the point of maybe I'm not hand building 40. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to run an optimizer for 40. Right. But these are the types of things. What I just did Francisco of, let me see what type of lineups 
I could build without this guy, with that guy. I'll also do things like this. So for instance, I'm gonna use the same projections that we have here. Of course, these are only, not, these are early projections, they could change. So let's say uh, I wanna do what you said. Maybe I, I do play Maxi, but I fade Embiid, okay? So I'm gonna have to find a center. Like maybe, is, maybe Drummond goes under-owned, right? Maybe Giannis goes under-owned. Maybe Miles My, Turner, maybe Sabonis. Like you mentioned Sabonis, so let's go with Sabonis. So now I'm gonna go, I'm gonna X out Embiid. I'm gonna put in, I'm gonna lock in Sabonis. They're playing Sacramento. Maybe maybe we get the news that uh, that uh, Holmes is out, right? Maybe we end up getting that news. Or maybe I wanna build that in. That's gonna be a late game, right? 10 o'clock game. Maybe Holmes is gonna end up being out. Holmes is what? He's, he's questionable. So that's gonna bump up Bagley. And he's obviously correlated to, to the Pacers game. So now I'm, I'm just thinking of things. I'm not looking, these, this isn't going to be a build. I'm just researching. Going, okay, if I play Sabonis and Vooch together, and uh, Sabonis and Bagley together, like what, line, what do lineups look like? So I'm running 20. Okay, so I get Maxi, the best one that I can make. Maxi, Beal, Green, Scott, Drummond, Drummond and Sabonis. So that, that's going to be kind of unique, right? Because most people are going to play Embiid and they're probably not going to play both of these guys. But of course I need Gary Trent in order to make that happen. And that, that doesn't seem like the best of uh, the best of worlds because I'm spending up too much and I got to hope and pray for G Gary Trent. So now I'm going to go. So I look at Gary Trent and go, okay, if I need to use Gary Trent, that's not going to be good. We're going to the next lineup. Well, I need to use Cameron Johnson, but I don't mind Cameron Johnson in a lineup with Bradley Beal both in the same game. I get Maxi, Scott, Green. I'm not a big fan of Sabonis and Brogdon together, right? Not a big fan. I mean, they both can get there, but I'm not a big fan of this. So I go to the next one and look, I get, still get a ton of Pacers. So now I'm looking at this going, this is not the greatest of lineups. I don't want to play Sabonis and Brogdon together. So now I'm going to go to groups. I'm going to go, I'm going to play, I'm going to take out Sabonis and Brogdon and Oladipo. And, and Turner, let's even do that. Doesn't mean I'm going to be building lineups that don't have both of these guys, but just for my research right now, I want to make sure that I only get one pacer in lineups, right? I already locked in Sabonis and Bagley. So like, I'm not going to get Brogdon, Oladipo and Turner anymore. And maybe I'm going to, I'm going to X out uh, Gary Trent. I don't want to build a lineup that I have to use that guy in. So I X him out. So this is, like I said, this is just research. I'm going to go build 20. You can build more. Okay, so now we see the top lineup is 281. Chris Paul, Beal, Herder, because Bogdanovich is going to be out today. Okay, this doesn't look all that bad. That's pretty good. Right, because right? we got Phoenix and I got Paul and Beal together, so that's not bad. Herder on the other side of the 76ers game, so I don't mind that correlation. I got Bagley and Sabonis together, and I got three. 76ers. I like seriously, this this is this is a lineup that makes sense. Obviously, it's under the circumstances that we have that Rashawn Holmes is out and you know, caveats right. everywhere, but yeah, this is a good lineup. Right. And then obviously we'll get ownership later in the day. So you could compare, like, are you leveraged enough? But most likely, if you're fading and beat, you probably are, right? You know, you're gonna be chalk Beal, Chalk Maxi, but Sabonis may come in at 11%. Bagley may come in at 9%. You know, Kevin Herter may be 3% on, and you go, okay, this is, a, this is not a bad lineup. Now let's look at the next lineup. Paul, you get Paul, you get no Wizards. 
So you get no Beal. They have Paul, Green, Hunter, Scott, Dr- the Drum and Sabonis lineup together. Now, in a vacuum, this isn't that bad of a lineup, but I'm not a big fan of playing Chris Paul without Wizards in it. Right? Like, I guess I can. I mean, I can. But I don't mind Hunter. I don't mind the Drum and Sabonis type of thing. Like, this isn't a bad lineup. I'm really, I'm really like nitpicking it. Like, it just feels like well, I, I, I don't want to play Chris Paul unless I'm playing Bradley Beal. Right? It just feels like it. But, I mean, this still is not a bad lineup. The third lineup down here. Melton, Drummond, Johnson, Beal, Scott Maxey. Yeah, this makes sense, right? Right, you give it a thumbs up, right? If you if you like these lineups, give it a thumbs up in the YouTube chat, right? But James, isn't this what you mean by you build you hit build and like of course I'm just doing this for research right now, which is what I'll do throughout the day. Hmm, what are lineups that have this guy and this guy look like? What are lineups that don't have like like I would never know this until I look and go, okay, I guess I can make this good lineup. That's this is what you're doing at six o'clock when you're building 150, going, let me go and see if these lineups make sense. And like we said in the first case, we saw so many pacers that's like, nope, this build ain't gonna work because I'm gonna see way too many pacers together. You go, you make your groups, and then you go through. And eventually you're able to you see lineups that make sense so often that you're not just like, let me study this for a minute. You're just scrolling through going, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. And within, you know, a couple of minutes, you get to the bottom and be like, okay, these lineups make sense, right? That, that, this, this is what you're doing. And something that you should be doing through the day to make things easier on yourself later on, if you are planning on doing that, that 40 lineups in, in that contest, um, like you don't even have to be actually building lineups. You can just be researching, but look at the slate and think like Jordan just said, well, I'm not going to want to have a lineup with Chris Paul without Bradley Beal. Make a group for it at 10 a.m. I'm not going to want to have four Pacers in a lineup. Make a group for it at 10.30 a.m. Like make those groups throughout the day and like name them because in lineup HQ, you can name what your groups are so that you can reference them later. And then you can pay attention to that stuff. And as news comes out, you can either add more groups or you can remove groups. You can say, okay, well, maybe I don't want that group anymore, but make things easier for yourself. Because if you're trying to crunch all this stuff and you're trying to put together groups and you're looking at every team and you're like putting together 20 to 30 different player groups with 30 minutes until the slate starts, you do eventually run out of time. Make things easier on yourself. Make your process so that you can actually run those lineups and you can like kind of have some of those pre-existing thoughts that you know, like Jordan said, it, he, he doesn't want to build Chris Paul without Bradley Beal. If, if one of those guys are going to be in a lineup, make a group for it. Yeah, but it just happened this way. Like people in the chat, in the YouTube chat are talking about, well, that means you have to make players on both sides of the game. You, you don't have to. The only one, look, look at all these lineups. The only one that I forced in was Sabonis and Bagley. Right. That's because I locked them in. Right. This could be Brogdon and Bagley. Maybe I do that. But like Chris Paul and Bradley Beal showing up, they were just the highest rejected players. Kevin Herter being on the opposite side of the Sixers. Like I didn't set a group to this. There's no group. I only made one group of just don't play all these Pacers together. These naturally fit in. When I see that they naturally fit in, when I see that I could play Hunter across from the Sixers and because he projects well and Herter across from the Sixers because he projects well, well, why wouldn't I put him in Sixers? Like, to me, that's the tiebreaker. Like, I don't, look, I didn't even have to make groups to force these things. Melton and Drummond being together, like on opposite sides of the, I didn't, 
I didn't intend on that, but I look at it and go, oh, he projects well enough. Cameron Johnson apparently projects well enough that him appearing in Beal lineups does make sense, right? I don't want to remove this guy and say, I have to play these guys together. But now that I see throughout the day, I see that based on our current projections that Chris Paul projects well enough and Bradley Beal projects well, that me making the group now, if I hard group it, if I say that, no Chris Paul lineups cannot have Bradley Beal. I'm not giving up projection. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving up. I'm actually playing the higher projected players. So let me, let me at least do that. It's it, you, you get into trouble where you're, you're playing un, low projected players for correlation for the sake of the correlation that isn't strong enough to begin with. So like, I'm not going through, you know, and going to the bottom and go, well, I'm, I'm going to make sure I want to play a bunch of Dwayne Bacon right? With, with Giannis, right? If he's the highest rejected play, if I'm make, making lineups with Giannis, like I'm going to play a magic player that projects well, if they fit in those lineups, there may be no magic that project well enough in Giannis lineups that make the lineup good. So those lineups don't get, don't get runbacks. Don't get like, that's what I'm doing. When people ask me what I researched throughout the day, this is what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not looking at at matchups. I'm not looking at spreads and totals. I'm not looking at I'm not looking at basketball stuff. Like that's already in the projections. I'm looking at lineup constructions. Can I make lineups like this? Can I make lineups like that? If if this guy doesn't play, do I have late swap optionality if I make lineups like this? Now, obviously, when I'm just hand building five lineups, like it's a little bit easier because I'm gonna just make my choices and before lock, I'm gonna put in my five lineups. But if you're doing massive multi-entry, you're going to have to do a lot more than this because you have to kind of prepare yourself for, for news at five 30 that comes out that, well, now that we're, now that you remove the small forward value on the slate, like how do I make up for a small, fo- I'm going to get a lot of Gary Trent and Cameron Johnson. If you know, like you have to prepare yourself for that type of thing. You don't have to, but it would be more prudent for you to do so. So it's not about researching basketball. It's about, it's essentially, essentially I'm running a calculator. I'm researching math throughout the day. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that people focus a lot on. Well, what, what about uh, this matchup or like this team does bad against this or like this team runs zone or it's, it's all already there, man. I promise that it's already there. Even the most basic projection systems that are just based on Vegas and like taking things from top down, they they already account for that because Vegas accounts for that. So focus more on the lineups and focus more on the players and focus more on the contest that you are in and how much leverage you need. Focus on what you are going to build for. And, and one thing that you should be thinking about is look at the questionables that you have. And this is something that I do as a content provider. I'm looking at the questionables that are happening throughout the day and I'm putting together other runs of projections most of the time for those instances. Like with Rashawn Holmes, I, I, at some point today, I'm going to put together a projection set that says the Rashawn Holmes is out and that's going to boost up this guy. It's going to boost up player A, B, and C. It's going to drop player D. It's going to make these different things happen. But I have to be accounting for all of that throughout the day so that I can make quicker decisions later on if and when that news does break. And that news might break seven minutes after the slate has started. And then I have to rerun things and then I have to rerun my MME. And it's very nice that Lineup HQ has a rebuild late swap options 
because I've used that a lot so far this year with players getting ruled out or players getting ruled in or X, Y, Z. One of the reasons why NBA is one of the harder DFS sports, everybody says, oh, everybody wins at NBA. One of the reasons why NBA is hard is because you have to be involved and you have to be paying attention all the way up until the last game, most slates, especially because the Lakers have both Anthony Davis and LeBron James questionable every single day. You're not safe until that game starts. So you're making decisions until that game starts. And you got to be like towards your computer or at the very least, if you have five lineups like Jordan has had for the last week, you have to be somewhere where you can say, I've got to go use the bathroom and then take five minutes to make those player swaps. There's no excuse for it if you're going to be playing anything for NBA DFS because you do have to take those things into account and you have to know what decisions you're going to make later on in the day. Right. That's why you should download the Roto Grinders app to your phone. You could set up notifications for, for anything, for all the news. You could follow the Roto-Grinders account on Twitter and set that for notifications, and it'll come to you. Like, I, our news team here, like, I know about it a minute after it happens. So, like, I don't have to worry about, oh, is Andrew Wiggins going to play today? Like, I'll get, I'll, when they know, I'll know. I'll get a boop, boop, boop on the phone. And Roto-Grinders app says there. You could also have notifications if, if, on all the content here at Roto Grinders. So if you want to know when the grind down comes out, when Meansy's core plays come out, if you're a premium member, like all the content have, if you want to know when ownership gets posted, there's a notification for that also. So you could always keep up to date. You could go about your life and be like, you know, I only have three lineups, but I want to know at 8.30 whether or not LeBron's playing or not. Like you'll, you'll get a notification. You don't have to worry about it. You just put in your, like if I never get a notification, that means everyone's playing. That means- Everything that you expected to happen is going to happen. So, uh, so James, uh, just want to talk at the end. All, a lot of these concepts are in uh, the audio book that, that we did. 15-hour audio masterclass. That's why I bring you on on Mondays. My, my co-author, it's uh, both me and him talking 15 hours through. So if you like the stuff that we're talking about, about you know the game theory, the line of construction, the, the, the math behind the game of DFS, I mean, that's what it is, where people ask, you know, like, oh, is it going to be about NFL? Is it going to be about NBA? It's about every sport. I mean, this all of this stuff applies to every sport. You could play you could play NBA this way. You could play NFL this way, MLB. Of course, each sport has its own, you know, correlations in baseball are much stronger than correlations in basketball, right? I mean, like, so you have to focus on that more. The variance of different sports matters. But understanding what variables you have allows you to then play nearly any sport DFS-wise well. And that's why we see at the on the Roto Grinders leaderboard, a lot of top players, like they seem to be good at every sport. And uh, and James, it's it's not a coincidence, right? It's not about sports, man. It, it's it's a skill, it's a skill game where you are beating other people. You're not knowing the sport the best. Uh, that there are, there's like one sport, I think MMA is like the one sport I think where maybe knowing the sport matters. Everything no, all else, of that, all, it matters to some, you can't, to I, an extent, to an extent. Right. I, I think, I think a better way of putting it. Cause I know plenty of people will be like, what do you mean? Not knowing the sport. Uh, I think the edge you get by knowing the sport slightly better than what could be projected 
is minimal compared to the 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 weakness you have in the math and lineup construction of DFS. Right. Like once you have that, and then you could add the extra three to five percent on top of it, like then then you're deadly, right? Then then that's where it comes in where you could look at a projection and go, well, this is going to be very fragile, right? This is a like this isn't as as yes, the model says this, but it's a very wide range. And based on my basketball knowledge, I think they're more likely to run this type of defense and do this type of rotation. So this median may be 24 minutes, but I think he has a shot at 28 minutes based on my basketball knowledge. Like there is an edge in that, but if you're going to take that and then build garbage lineups, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, none of that matters anymore. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I mean, that, and that's the thing. It, it's just about building good lineups. It's about understanding why lineups are good in the first place. Um, and, and I think that knowing that you're building good lineups, go into the results database, see how your lineups looked against the pros that you respect. Go look at Blender's lineups. Go look at uh, Osmo. Go look at Shit My Money. Get like Go look at these guys who are building good lineups every single day and say, you know, why was he on him? Why did I not think of doing that? If you can get to the point where you're saying, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I would have done the same thing. You're on the right track. You're building lineups that make sense. Um, it's not about the players. And I just want to just emphasize that because that's probably the biggest thing is focusing on, well, I, I should have been on player X who had 12 X. It's like, it, it was a fluke. If that, if that happened, if nobody was on him, if he was 0.5% owned, none of the pros were on this player and he 12 X maybe just move on. If your lineups were good, that's what matters. If you missed out on these super variant outcomes, focus a little less on that. Focus on trying to be a good player. Right. That's why I pick up the course. Theory of DFS.com. You could follow Twitter. Uh, you could follow James on Twitter at paydirt underscore DFS. Uh, hit, yeah, hit that thumbs up button on the way out uh, of the show. For Devin, that our, our, our fabulous multitasking producer, all the thumb, the thummy thumbs all go to him today uh, for, for, for bailing me out. And now I don't have to worry about all the technical difficulties anymore. So, uh, so for James, I'm Jordan Cooper, AKA Blender at Blender HD on Twitter. It's been another edition of the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com.